As promised, we are back in the Gospel of Mark again. It's been a long time. It's been a whole summer. Summer's over, right? Does it feel like summer's over? <clears throat> no, it's not. It's never over here, right? You know, it's kind of like seeing a good friend after a while, like going back into Mark and just reading through Mark and, and being acquainted with it all again. It felt kind of like familiar. I missed Mark, our friend Mark, who is showing us Jesus. We are calling this series... Again, uh, this is Jesus. Uh, we began back in January 2021 in this journey through Mark. Um, and uh, we decided that there would be nothing more important in January 2021 than to become more acquainted with the person of Jesus Christ. That, that is the place to press into in all of the things that are uncertain or confusing or painful or difficult um, to find the solid rock of Jesus to stand on. And that's what Mark is all about. And the first sermon we gave, the first message in Mark was called A Message and a Messenger. It was Mark chapter 1. And it's incredible. The more I've studied Scripture, but very much Mark, the more I see the skill that these writers brought to the work of revealing so many layers of who Jesus uh, is, who, who he was then, and who he is for the first listeners or readers of this gospel, and also for us now and, and through time. And, and the message really that first time was about this amazing layer of uh, meaning that told us that there were three messengers highlighted in Mark's gospel. Three messengers that are clearly in the beginning part of the gospel, and then one potential messenger kind of waiting in the wings and so the first messenger that we decided was was there was mark himself okay he is this guy who who wrote down we think peter the apostle the disciple peter's recollections of his time with jesus and he wrote them down but in a particular way to give voice to the way he wanted us to understand who jesus is the second messenger in that story is John the Baptist, and he was this crazy wild guy dressed in camel skins, and he had a really strange diet, right, of um, locusts and honey, right? But he was a messenger, and he came out of the desert proclaiming like a prophet, the kingdom of God is near, repent, and people flocked to him, and he baptized them in the, in the, in the river, in the sea, and... Uh, and he was saying, prepare your hearts for what is coming. This is the message. And that was just for a season that he brought that message. Then there's the messenger, Jesus. He's the central person that he brings the kingdom. And through his teachings and his actions tells us about what we should understand about God's kingdom. But not only do we think about Jesus as a messenger, but he is the message. He is the message. He is the living word of God to his people and to us. So what about this potential messenger? Well, Mark is very much intending that those who hear the message might themselves become messengers, sharers of the message, that we be so captivated by who we see Jesus to be that we would be captivated to the point where we, we want to know him and then we ourselves become that kind of person. And you see, we, see, we saw this in Mark where, and we're going to see more of this in Mark where those who were receiving the message, those who were in proximity to Jesus, who saw him, what he did, what he said, start to kind of have this, these revelations, these moments when they understand more fully who he is. 
and will at some point then become messengers, messengers themselves. This happened to Peter in chapter 8. Uh, we're going to hear about this in a, in a couple of weeks. Jesus was asking, who do people say I am? And they had various answers. And then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. Now, this was a pinnacle moment for Peter. He's like, you are this promised one. And the lights came on. And it began this amazing journey for Peter. So a message. Uh, I'm a messenger today. I'm a messenger today. Woo, that's scary, right? It's an important message. Who am I, man? I'm Grant, the Scottish guy. You know, all my stuff I've got just like you. But you know, this is what it's about. We are, we are, we are a community that is supposed to actually also be an embodied message of the kingdom of God and the gospel. And, and that's what God's called me to do is to proclaim that and to encourage us to follow him. So today, what we're going to go in chapter 8 today. It's in your booklet, I think, this text that Bob Ledger read so well for us. Thanks, Bob. And today, I want to start with a question. It's about us, the church. Like, what is the church? And, you know, we do this thing called church. And, you know, often we think it's Sunday morning. We come, we, hear, we sing some songs, we hear a message, and we pray, etc. But a fundamental question is, how do we discover what it is that we're supposed to be doing like more broadly, like what do we exist for? What's our purpose? And how do we discover what that purpose is? Uh, there's a few ways we can do it. We can look around at all the other churches and go like, wow, their parking lot's full. What are they doing? We should do that, right? We could, we could you know, emulate. We could, you know, copy. Um, or we could just read books about it. I've read a lot of books about, books about church, how to do church. We can think back to the churches that we grew up in and the things that we knew and the things that actually, you know, they're quite familiar. You know, someone should do something like, if you notice, I did a fill-in-the-blanks thing today. So if you have a pen, I would encourage you to fill in the blanks. Does that feel like lovely to you if you grew up in the church? You remember that? It just feels like, wow, fill-in-the-blank. I remember back in the first Baptist church of Stockton, California. It's just off the top of my head, whatever. Um, but we can do that and then try and just keep doing those things. Well, the best way, of some of you have already probably thought, is to actually search the scriptures and tell us what they, see what they tell us about who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be about, what we're supposed to prioritize, care about, etc. And what's wonderful about Mark is it's one of the earliest documents that record the life of Jesus. And not only just the life of Jesus, but how he uh, discipled and arranged these people who were going to become the church bringing the gospel into the world. So it's, it's a place of a powerful insight. And today's text teaches us a lot about what the church is and what it should be like. I've got like six points here. It's probably way too many. So please bear with me. You're filling in the blanks going to make it a little easier, okay? Um, so the first thing is this. The church is a part of the community. This passage that Bob uh, talked about is tells us that the church is part of the community. If you were there on that hillside, it would be probably very hard for you to pick out the disciples from just the people who were gathered you, you, by their costumes. What do you call it? Costumes? You know, they didn't have special clothes. They didn't have a name badge. Hi, my name is the Apostle Peter. You know, they were part of the group. They had come from just the regular folks in the community. And that's what they were like at that point. Uh, they were recipients of the same miraculous provision of food as everyone else in the, in the crowd that day. Um, so the first thing is, we are part of our community. 
we are supposed to be kind of uh, very much just participants widely. And what is it that makes us differentiated perhaps from the mass of people is simply our desire to follow Jesus, our desire to follow Jesus. The church is part of the community. That's the first thing. You know, I love the fact that we're outside because it feels like we're more, more, more so part of just the community here. You know, we're public. Uh, that's what it was like in that day. There's something very biblical about sitting here, you know, doing this together. The second thing is um, a church's mission, this text tells us, is guided by its connection to Jesus. Like something I say a lot in Bible studies and things is like the most important thing about reading a passage of scripture is to just see what's there because it's there for a reason. And the, the words, the sentences, the things that Mark writes are really, really important. So a church's mission is guided by its connection to Jesus. And that's always the way through the gospel. When Jesus is doing something, you notice he's always calling his disciples to come alongside him. Come with me. That's the first thing in this passage. He says, having called his disciples to him, come closer, come over here. Then he starts to talk and express his heart and he shares it with them, expecting that they, they're going to capture something from this. He, having called his disciples to him, he said, and then he goes on into this journey with him. And this happens as a pattern, a repeated pattern, that we are nothing without that dynamic. You know, that we, that we seek him, we listen for him, we read the word, we pray, we pursue him, and we do it together. And our ability to embody this kingdom is only going to be as good as our proximity to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. So we seek him humbly because we don't really know what we're doing, do we? I think we proved that this year, right? <laughs> you know, just a little tiny pandemic and we're like, what are we going to do? You know, and the only way we discovered anything about what we're going to do is say, Jesus, you are still the king. You're the same yesterday, today and forever. And we will seek you. And it's going to be a hard road, but we, we, will, we know you are sufficient for this. It's discipleship. Discipleship is the space a disciple is the person to whom Jesus, he shares his heart and his mind and his will with us. So discipleship is about the sense of responsiveness and seeking. Third thing, the church, a church brings its resources. It brings what it has, even though that may be small, and trusts Jesus for the increase. I love the question that Jesus says to the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, seven, they replied. Well, that's not enough, right? You know, have you heard that expression? We bring our loaves and fishes. Churches, people say it's a churchy word. We're just going to bring our loaves and fishes. Um, but you think about this. Jesus could have miraculously produced food from thin air, right? Jesus created, we are told in the scriptures that Jesus is the creator and he created all that there is from nothing. He is the beginning. He created all things from nothing. Uh, but he didn't do that, did he? He came to the disciples and said, what have you got? Okay, bring that and trust me. Second thing is, his disciples could have eaten quite well with seven loaves and a few fish, couldn't they? They could have been quite satisfied. They could have snuck off behind a boulder or something. Or a cactus. I don't know, you get cactuses in the Mediterranean wilderness. But they didn't. 
they brought what they had, maybe wondering, hmm, I don't see much of a share for me in this seven fish and a few loaves. And they came, but they brought it to Jesus, and in his hands, everyone was satisfied. You know, we may be small, but we can bring what we have, and it doesn't matter how small it is. It simply matters that we bring it because we have trusted in the one who can multiply it. And that's when we go, wow, God, you've done this. We could have a huge, huge organization with multi-millions and, and miss seeing just a miraculous, wonderful multiplication of this, the little that we have. I want to invite Melody up. Because we think it's important to tell stories. You know, we're thinking about giving, okay? You know, we have a budget. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, that it's really important. We don't shy away from talking about money because, as we've said, we're an independent church. Um, but sometimes there's a disconnect between us writing a check and putting an envelope and what that actually results in. And this passage just kind of tells us that there's something that should be happening when we bring the little that we have out of a sense of faithfulness and obedience and a desire to see God work, and it's multiplied. I just want to share first a story about this, something that happened this week. Okay, like you guys support me as a pastor, and I'm really, really grateful for that. And sometimes I see things, and I don't have an opportunity necessarily to share them with you. I think sometimes you wonder what the heck I do all week, to be honest. Yeah, you know, literally, I've had people ask me that, you know, like, so what do you do? Like, you work on Sundays, right? You're like, why are we paying him all that money when he's just like, just like singing Kumbaya in his office and praying and, you know, whatever, taking naps. I do have a couch in my office. It's not very comfortable, though. <clears throat> so I just want to tell you a story. Um, this is what I've been doing this week. This is multiplication. On Tuesday... There was a phone call from San Dimas Community Hospital. And a patient who, is, who has coronavirus, who's in a bad way, and at that point they didn't think he had any family at all, had, had asked if a pastor would come and pray with him. And so they called the office. And so it's kind of scary, right? I'm going to the ICU unit. A lot of people with coronavirus there. You know, I'm vaccinated, but you know, it's kind of concerning. And um, so... But it's like, that's what I'm called to. So you support me to go there. And I just felt this deep sense of purpose and joy. So I was like, okay, I'm going. I'm going to go tonight. So I had tons of other stuff to do. So much to do. But I went there. I got a mask. And it was this young man. His name is Joseph. And uh, first I had a mask. I was going to talk to him with the door slightly open because they were a bit concerned, right? I had a gown on and the gloves. And, and he said, I'm scared, right? It's my first step into that world. Some of you are nurses, like you've seen that, right? But for me, it was like shocking. But, I would, but so then they were like, this other nurse came and said, hey, it's not very safe. You should come here and gave me the, the intercom to speak into his room, which is really clunky because it's got this his sound and he's speaking back. I'm trying to understand him. And basically he said to me, uh, Pastor, you know, I, I, I'm scared. And, you know, I, I had went to church when I was a kid and stuff. But I've done some really bad stuff. And I'm just scared about where I'm going and everything, you know? 
So I do, so over the intercom, I'm like, hey, do you want me to pray with you, Joseph? Do you want me to just pray and you just repeat after me? And I just, I just prayed and I was like, and I felt desperate, right? You know, I felt like I want to help this guy. I want to heal him. I want to see him healed, right? So I prayed for him and I led him in prayer to, and to assure him, like, you are loved. Doesn't matter what you've done. Christ loves you and you just call out to him. You know, and then the thing kept disconnecting. Every few minutes, I had to click this button on the mouse and the thing. And then the nurse's station, by the way, and they're all sitting around, these nurses, and I'm like the f- weird guy praying through the intercom to this guy that nobody really cares about, right? So I read Psalm 23, and he was, you know, and I was thinking about, hey, Joseph, I'm going to come back later. He's like, you know, I don't want you to leave, right? So I sang Amazing Grace to him through the intercom. Just sang. And it was just like this moment in this nurse's station. I'm like, what am I? I'm singing Amazing Grace in the nurse's station in the ICU down this telephone to this guy, right? Um, but like afterwards, the nurses, one nurse said, you have an amazing voice. And I'm just like, man, this is the kingdom of God right now. You've got it. You called me here to do this. And I don't know what it's going to lead to, but I gave cards to the staff for Melody and I, but we're, we're willing to be here for your patients. We want to be here for you. And then we actually, uh, Linda Tridy got a whole bunch of Trader Joe's stuff and we put it all together and put a package and said, thank you. We took it to the ICU the next day and, and I've been calling every day, checking on Joseph. He's not doing that well. So pray for Joseph. He said to me, one of the things, hey, if I get better, can I come to your church? I was like, absolutely, man. You know, you're the, yes, you know. So that's just one little thing. You know, it's multiplication. I was just like, I just went. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I can't fix it. Jesus, help me. Melody, what's been going on? Other things? Uh, Other things we have going on. We have something that we started on Thursdays called Thursday Connect. And it was originally intended to uh, connect with the parents right here from San Dimas High School that get out during that time. And our parking lot gets full of um, parents that are waiting for their kids to cross the street and, and get out. And so uh, we gathered iced coffee, Gatorades, water, this and that. And so the first day, we're out there going, hey, mom and dad, want some iced coffee? Hey, mom and dad, you know, just looking through the windows. Not one parent got out of the car. And so we're like, okay, (laughs) we tried, you know. But then the kids crossed the street, and oh, boy, it was such a response from the kids that were crossing the street. They're thirsty, they're hot, they're hungry. And so it was so funny, we were talking about originally it wasn't intended for that, but that's what it became. And now we've, do, we've done it three weeks now. Um, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And what's great about it is that we um, are able to, you know, start to remember some names and start to, you know, hey, uh, one of the kids' name is Justin. Hey, Justin, uh, did you like the Gatorade that we went out to get for you? He's like, yeah, this is my favorite flavor, you know. And so just to show them, I don't know what their lives are like at home. We don't know, you know. Some of them get picked up. Some of them are still waiting to be picked up when we leave an hour later. But we're able to, to show a little bit of love and a little bit of connection and just a little bit of a, hey, there are no strings attached here other than have a beverage. Last week we had popsicles. And it's crazy to me to think that that wasn't the original intention, but that's what God wanted it to be. 
And so now it's this connection with students. So every Thursday we're like, hey, tell your friends next week. So every week we're making more cold brew. We're buying more half and half. We're doing this thing, right? And so um, the other crazy thing is that now that the parents see that their kids are stopping, just last week one of the um, dads came out and he's like, hey, my name's Gus. Can I help you carry that? And I said, sure, you know, help me carry this thing. And we had a little conversation with Gus, a mom here. Hey, could I get what? You know, yes, this is for you too, you know? So it's, it's slowly turning into all this connection. And it's, it is hot because it is hot between 2 and 3 o'clock. The first day, it was like the hottest day, I think, of summer. And we were out there from 2 to 4 p.m. And I told Marissa, Marissa, you are one of my best friends, but if you make me stay out here till 4, I think I'm going to kill you. And so we cut it like at 3.30 or so. So we decide the rush is really between two and three. So anyway, it is hot. It is work. And it costs, it costs money. We buy these things. But man, is it worth it? It is worth it. Yeah, for sure, you know. It's just a simple thing, you know. We're not bringing bread and fish. We're bringing some cold coffee but we're trusting Jesus for the increase, you know? We're not manipulating anyone. We're just being in a space with them. And Christ is in the midst. And we're saying, we're showing up, we're showing up, we're showing up. And I already see just starts the connection start to me. I'm starting to see some of the hurt of some of these kids who I've talked to. And by, oh, Lord Jesus, please send us into their lives. Please let them know that they're loved. Yeah. So keep what going. else? Yeah, keep going. Okay. Um, another way that we use our resources is the pantry. And you guys know this. You know this so well. But I believe, and here's my little um, spiciness to you this morning. I believe that everybody here should serve at the pantry. Not because I need you to. Because I want you to. Because I want you to see the people. Because I want you to serve just, just the joy that comes from serving. Yesterday, again, it was hot, 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 hot. I'm really trying to see how we can get uh, misters out there. Um, it was hot, but man, it is, when we are sweating, when we are, you know, just, just in the midst of the work, I don't think I ever feel happier. I honestly don't, because and you can ask people, you can ask Ishmael and Karina who are here, Monica and Gerald who are here, all their kids were here. Uh, Barb, uh, Barbara Buckman was here. So, so many people we serve. Yesterday we served, where's Karina, 215 or so, yeah? Uh, we've served 323. We've served 245. There's so many people that we serve week by week. But again, the connection is there. I hadn't seen someone in probably over two months. So I found his phone number and I called him. He lives here in Charter Oak. I said, Kevin, what's going on with you? I haven't seen you. Are you okay? My wife has been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. She gets radiation four times a week. She's had surgery, this, that. Kevin, what can we do? How can we support you? And he said, I'll be by there Thursday. I'll go get food. Okay. So he shows up just bawling in line. I said, Kevin, we will, be, we will pray. Here, let me put this together for Sonia. Take this tea for her. N tell her we're going to pray with them this week. 
just the connection, the connection that we have where we're able to give little, his name is Joseph too, the little four-year-old Joseph, a little, a little Hot Wheels car that we have. We have a little birthday stash. It's your kid's birthday. Guess what? They're going to get a cake because we always have cake, right, Rana? We pick up 30,000 cakes a week. But we have little cakes and we're able to go to the birthday stash where we have a little shelf. And here's a little gift for you, Joseph. And Joseph's little face lights up. It is amazing what we are able to provide through the pantry, through your donations of food that you bring every week, through your support that we are able to purchase when things are low. So I believe, I believe that you need to see it too so you can know it. You can know it. It's great to hear about it, but it's another thing to see it. But just thank you, thank you, thank you for all the ways that we are able to support that ministry. Amen. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, good. You know, we, we do these things and, and we offer them to Jesus. And then he does what he does to transform our community through what we bring. Number four, being a church involves a progressive learning experience. We are not today what we will hopefully be tomorrow. A progressive learning experience. When Bob read the story of the feeding of the 4,000, it might have been familiar to you if you remember Mark from before. Because uh, we have heard already in Mark about Jesus feeding a multitude of people. This is not their first rodeo, as you Americans like to say. Um, I like to say it now too. This is not my first rodeo. Never been to a rodeo, but I like to say it. But this happened, there's another thing earlier on in chapter 6 called the feeding of the 5,000. Man, they've gone downhill. That's one thing, right? Only 4,000 this time, Jesus? What's going on? But it's interesting, if you compare these two stories, there's a progressive teaching and learning and an invitation to the disciples to get it. And you think, man, you saw him do this with 5,000 people. Wouldn't you just like immediately be like, hey, you did this before, Jesus? But I think what's happening is so out of their understanding. It's profound. It's mysterious, miraculous they don't quite understand how to respond to it. So we get this, this uh, moment when uh, in Mark chapter 6, for the previous one, um, it says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answers, you give them something to eat. And they're just like looking at all these people, it's like, what? Hey, John, what's in your lunchbox? Oh, a tuna sandwich. It's not enough. Um, but then if you look at this one that happens, it changes. He doesn't do this kind of strong thing this time. He just simply tells them the situation. It's kind of like, wow, these people are probably hungry. They've been here all day. They're far from, from home. Hmm. Right? It's sort of like this invitation for them to go, oh, remember, this happened before. So it's almost like he's saying, Suggesting, what might you do in this situation? Um, I think that's a beautiful progression. He's just bearing with them, and he's offering them a chance to maybe pipe up and go, hey, I think we could feed them because the kingdom is powerful and, and plentiful. Uh, well, they don't do that, right? <laughs> because the process, and we have grace for when we fail to get it, for our missteps, it's a progression, it's a process. We walk with Jesus, and he'll give us many opportunities to learn these kind of um, kingdom dynamics. Okay, next thing, number five. I'm going to boogie through because we're, we're 
busting through the time this morning, and the temperature is rising. Uh, a church embodies and emulates the compassion of Jesus. Like this is central to the story. All of what Jesus does, and then all of what he wants his disciples to do is supposed to derive from the sense of compassion for these people. The feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, it says he had compassion on them. And it says because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And at that point, it says that he responded out of his compassion by teaching them. Because they are prone to all kinds of teaching and things that were damaging them and, and crushing them. And so his solution to his compassion for them was to teach them. This time it doesn't say that. It says, I have compassion on these people. Why? They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So his solution is feeding them. That's a beautiful picture of both who Jesus is and then what the church should be. That Jesus cares for the whole person, not just as spiritual things, but practical things. Not just getting souls into heaven, but getting foods into, food into bellies and clothes onto bodies. Jesus cares for the whole person, therefore we should too. Second thing is Jesus cares for every person. I love when he says this, some of them have come a long way. Some of them have come a long way. Some of them, this is a small percentage of the crowd. He's really concerned that some of them are especially in a difficult situation. And so he wants to take care of these people individually. And then Melody mentioned the pantry. What a powerful ministry we have here where we pair this two strong hands of kingdom work, faith and works, learning and doing, worshiping and serving when I first came here and saw there was a garden and a pantry at this church, I was like, man, this place is poised and ready to serve this community so fully. We're going to feed people. We're going to grow food and feed people. And we're going to teach them about the kingdom of God. We're going to sing a song in a minute that says about Jesus. He fed their mouths as well as preaching. Powerful. See Melody about the pantry. Because, yeah, as she said, I, we can talk about it. We can write statements about it. But until you see it and feel it, you're not going to understand it. Last one. Jesus leads us to places where we will have to live by faith. Jesus leads us to places. Our pursuit of Jesus will lead us to places where our natural resources and abilities will not be sufficient. Why were these people in this place of need? Because they followed Jesus there. He, he followed him into the wilderness. Wouldn't staying at home have been far more comfortable and safe just to stay at home? But there was something about him that compelled them to follow. And in doing so, it put them in a place where they needed to depend on him for their basic sustenance. And he provided it. And all were satisfied If we are captivated by Jesus, if we are captivated by him, and we have our eyes set on him, we may find ourselves going to a place and suddenly we'll look around and go, I don't think we can do this. I don't think we could have the means to do this. Look at my bank balance or my schedule. And at that point, I think we've stepped into the kingdom in this point where we say, oh, Lord, 
we truly need you to work in this situation because we, we think you've brought us to this place, but we can't do this. Here's what we do have. Lord, take it and do your work with it. And we will respond and we will show up and we will participate. It's scary. It's much safer to stay at home. To be captivated. Find ourselves in a place where we truly need to depend on his provision. We just bring what we have. He doesn't count it out and go, it's not enough. He said, it's sufficient. 